mini heat wave. The area is under a heat warning and where you can find relief. Scandal within the Surrey Police Service. Why one of the first officers to sign on is under a criminal investigation. And the changing voice of Canada. Mandarin, Cantonese, Arabic, uh, Punjabi. What the data reveals about how we communicate with each other. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. Another record setting heat wave is here. And Environment Canada has issued some warnings for many parts of the province. Grace Key is live with more on what you need to know and how to keep cool during the heat wave. Grace? Yeah, we are just on the corner of Maine and 14th in front of one of these great misting stations. So you, you're feeling hot, you pop the button. Ah, cools you off right away. It is but probably more than a dozen of these throughout the city of Vancouver and just one of the many things that municipalities have set up to help cool you off during this heat wave. At Edmonds Park in Burnaby, the countdown is on. Siblings Anton and Tekla keep their eyes on the prize. Like you wait for the bucket and then like the bucket falls when there's too much pressure of weight. And then like there's like a big waterfall on you. With temperatures on the rise, people are finding ways to cool off and municipalities are activating their heat response plans. The Edmonds Community Centre is one of four cooling centres in Burnaby. They're equipped with air conditioning, Wi-Fi, water, resources and pets are welcome. This is, I think, the fourth time we've activated this summer and we've already had more than 2,800 visits to our cooling centres so far this summer across all four. And that's not even counting the ones at out the outdoor ones run by the Society and Homelessness. So we're seeing pretty good pickup. A heat warning has been issued for Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. Over the next couple of days, it could hit up to 35 degrees in the valley with not much relief at night. We're going to see temperatures only getting down to between 16 and 18 degrees overnight. So that's not offering a lot of relief overnight. And uh, that's part of our heat warning criteria. In past heat events, a large number of those who died were at home and socially isolated. People are being reminded to check in on neighbours and loved ones and review signs of heat stress. Severe nausea, vomiting, fainting or loss of consciousness, confusion or disorientation, difficulty speaking, movement coordination problems, lethargic, um, not if they're not sweating um, or they're very hot flush pale skin, or if they're not urinating, because that could be a big sign of dehydration. Some municipalities use the Alertable app, letting you know about advisories. City websites also have maps identifying everything from water fountains and misting stations to pools, libraries, and spray parks. How does it feel coming here? Re refreshing. All right, I've been wearing this suit all day. I'm jealous of those <laughs> kids. Uh, let's check in with meteorologist Yvonne Shell, who's in for Christy today. And the heat won't last forever, of course. Yvonne, what's the timeline before we all get some relief? Yeah, we are going to see one more hot day for tomorrow. And then a bit of a reprieve is actually on the way for Friday. And even a little bit of instability for a few spots. Now, the hot spots, we've had record-breaking heat today. It's been soaring with Lytton, the hottest across the province and the country, getting up to 39.5. These are unofficial numbers. But just to show you the heat, extreme Lillooet up to 38 degrees and Pemberton getting up to 37. Heat warning is blanketing much of the southern half but also included within that the north coast inland with temperatures getting up to 30 and 
once again, it's those overnight lows between 16 and 18 degrees. We'll track this one more day for, for tomorrow. We'll see that heat, especially for the interior, getting into the upper 30s. A reprieve on the way. We're looking at even a chance of showers, but there may be the risk of thunderstorms. I'll have that coming up very shortly. Chris? All right, we'll check in a little bit later on. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Of course, none of that makes the job easier for firefighters. And a new wildfire sparked up today just north of Kamloops. BC Wildfire Service calls it the East Meadows Plateau Fire. It has quickly grown to more than three hectares. Ground personnel are on the scene and they uh, do have attack aircraft uh, attacking it from above. Flames and smoke, as you can tell, can be seen for several kilometers. Now, all evacuation orders for the Caramillos Creek wildfire have been rescinded and everyone can go home now. The regional district of Okanagan Similkameen has also lifted most of the evacuation alerts. The BC Wildfire Service is praising fire crews for their work in preventing what could have been an enormous loss of homes and property in that fire. First and foremost, the efforts of people fighting the fire on the ground and in the air and heavy equipment operators clearly made a difference. I would suggest also that a wet spring and a wet part to the early part of the summer as well uh, had an impact on the receptiveness of the forest fuels at higher elevations. While we've had a lot of hot weather recently, the impact of that uh, prolonged wet spring and early summer is something that's um, proven to be quite helpful on this fire and on other fires across the, the interior of the province. Since the Caramillos Creek wildfire broke out, only one home has been lost. No cause of that fire has been determined so far. Abbotsford police are releasing a sketch of a suspect in an alleged abduction attempt involving a child. Take a look. Officers say the child has described this man as pulling them through the window, alongside the house and to the road before they were finally able to break away. It happened at a home in the 2700 block of Maple Street just before 9 o'clock Monday night. The child didn't have any injuries. The suspect is described as having a septum piercing and a flower tattoo on his left arm. A septum, you can tell, is a nose ring. Police are asking anyone with surveillance footage to contact them. An officer from the newly formed Surrey Police Service has been arrested and is being investigated for breach of trust. The officer was hired by the SPCA, or SPS back in May with only one year of police experience. On August 17th, SPS Chief Constable Norm Lipinski suspended the officer with pay pending the outcome of the criminal investigation, which is being handled by Surrey RCMP. Given that no charges have been laid, the officer's identity has not been released, and there are no other details about the investigation. BC's police watchdog has been notified. Now, Esquimalt Council has voted not to renew its policing contract with the Victoria Police Department. That change could have wide-ranging ramifications, not just in the capital region, but the entire province. Richard Zussman reports. For nearly 20 years, the Victoria Police Department has served both Victoria and Esquimalt. That may soon change. Council unanimously uh, decided not to renew the framework agreement. Esquimalt City Council has hired a consultant to look at potential policing options. The Victoria Police Department has provided service in the community since a contentious merger forced in 2002. Esquimalt has long argued it's not getting value for money. This is about money. Uh, this is about the cost of policing and the structure of policing, 
not about the quality of policing that the township residents receive today. Both the police department and the province are ensuring residents of both communities service will not be impacted by any change, a change the province must approve. They need to come forward with a plan on exactly what they would like to do and how they intend to do it and I'm looking forward to receiving that. This may be bigger than a Squamalt either creating its own police force or joining another one. This could be a catalyst for change, considering the province is considering regional police forces, not just here on Vancouver Island, but in Vancouver as well. Esquimalt has always advocated for regional policing. What, uh, and, and so this is an opportunity. I'm confident that Minister Farnworth will look at this request from the township through the lens of the report that came out from the Special Committee on Reforming the Police Act. And within those recommendations is a key recommendation. That Special Committee on Reforming the Police Act suggested local forces should be moved into regional or provincial forces. The province now reviewing the recommendation. The report itself and the committee itself was very clear. Uh, that while there are some recommendations that could be done relatively quickly, there are other recommendations that are going to take, you know, a considerable amount of time. I can tell you that here on southern Vancouver Island, um, the current makeup of the police organizations as they sit, it's extremely fractured. Esquimalt's deal expires at the end of 2023. The community clear they would be happy to go along with a regional force and potentially lead the way for communities across BC. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. One of the two men convicted in the horrifying rape and murder of a Vancouver Island teenager has been denied parole once again. Cruz Wellwood, who is now 28, was denied day parole for the second time in three years. Wellwood was just 16 back in 2010 when he and 17-year-old Cameron Moffat abducted and killed their classmate, Kimberly Proctor, in Langford. She was 18 at the time. The parole board found him still to pose a serious threat to the public. And psychiatric evaluations continue to show psychopathic traits. The B.C. General Employees Union is accusing the province of stockpiling products during their labour dispute. And it's calling on workers at B.C. liquor stores to refuse to handle any products that's delivered or received by a third party. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, this doesn't sound like it's going to help negotiations. What does it mean exactly and how could it impact retail locations? Yeah, very interesting. It's been so long since we've seen a strike involving the liquor distribution branch and BCGU employees that everybody's really trying to figure out how this is actually going to work going forward. So workers, of course, walked off the job at the warehouses on Monday at 3.30. They've been walking the picket line ever since during, uh, during working hours. Uh, but since then, trucks have been driving around BC unloading LDB product that wasn't loaded after 3.30, but was evidently loaded onto the trucks beforehand. And they've been packed with... Like, distribution products. We're talking about Pacific Coast Distribution based in Langley. They are one of the contractors with the LDB to deliver uh, products to liquor stores around BC. Today the BC Jew blew the whistle and said no, uh, instructing its members do not touch these trucks, don't unload the trucks, don't process the products when they're delivered to the, the government liquor stores. Stephanie Smith, the president of the BC Jew, labeled it a wrinkle that she hoped hadn't happened, but uh, basically both sides doing what they have to do to settle this dispute. I was certainly hopeful that, you know, we we wouldn't sort of be experiencing any sort of wrinkles, uh, you know, but um, I, 
I guess the, you know, LDB felt that they needed to do what they needed to do. And we need to do what we need to do in response to that. Now, it's interesting. We asked uh, Ms. Smith how, what, when the next phase two would kick in, phase three, when we're going to see more employees on the picket line. She says they're taking it day by day. But I noted today, I looked at the VCGU uh, memo to members about frequently asked questions. One of the questions asked is, how long will the strike last? And the answer was, we don't know. There's no set timeline. But it did say, they quoted an old labor adage that the longer the strike line, the longer the picket line, the shorter the strike. That, and they said that uh, basically the more people that are on the picket line, the more pressure it puts on the employer. That tells me we're probably going to see some more workers, some more members of the VCGU, VCGU hit a picket line in different forms fairly soon. I don't think this phase one is going to last too much longer. All right. Thanks for the update, Keith. All right. We've got more questions than answers today after more than a dozen wolves escaped their enclosure at the Greater Vancouver Zoo yesterday. The zoo is still closed and no one who works there is talking, despite the fact not all the wolves are accounted for. Sarah McDonald reports. More than 36 hours after something happened at the Greater Vancouver Zoo, we still don't know exactly what and exactly how many wolves, if any, are still on the loose in Alder Grove. No word Wednesday from zoo officials, RCMP or conservation officers. A full day after it's believed that somebody compromised the enclosure housing the zoo's wolves. Nine adults and six cubs. At last update on Tuesday, we know most had been recaptured, but at least one was still at large. The situation really raises questions about the zoo's ability to keep their animals safe, as well as um, the employees and the public. The Vancouver Humane Society is talking, though, reiterating its long-standing concerns about the zoo and its treatment and housing of animals. Tuesday's incident and the lack of transparency and communication surrounding it, they say, is just the latest in a string of incidents, raising questions. So we see this as there's a lot of recurring issues going on at the zoo, and the high-profile incidents like this one, um, you know, while they make the news, we think they are just the tip of the iceberg. The Greater Vancouver Zoo is no stranger to controversy and pushback from animal welfare advocates. In 2011, two giraffes, a mother and calf, died within a week of each other. The concern of critics then, cold temperatures. The concern now, the welfare of the wolves and public safety and security. As the zoo grounds remain a potential crime scene, with Langley RCMP investigating malicious human activity in connection to the Great Escape and a hole that was found in zoo fencing. As the Ministry of Environment, Conservation and RCMP direct all questions to the zoo, we still wait on answers. At last update Tuesday, zoo officials insisting the public was not at risk. But as the zoo remains closed with few details and communication, its reputation is. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A B.C. journalist lands on Hong Kong's wanted list. What got Victor Ho into trouble with the Chinese government and why he's getting some high-profile help here in Canada. That's in just over a minute. The return of an iconic Canadian retailer, why Zeller's nostalgic comeback won't be quite how you remember it, coming up later. And spectacular whale sightings here at home and abroad. But first, a Richmond journalist found himself on Hong Kong's most wanted list after speaking out about Beijing's crackdowns on political freedoms. And as Imadagahi reports, that has a BCMP calling on the federal government to step in. 
The reaction of the Hong Kong government is expected. Run into Victor Ho at a Richmond park and he'll strike you more as a well-mannered retiree, not a wanted person. My life uh, seems good as usual, business as usual. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to know that hours before this interview, he was visited by two members of the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. They show me the identification of CSIS to officer. The first question, are you safe? The Hong Kong Security Bureau has named Victor Ho a wanted person for a breach of national security law. That breach in relation to Ho's involvement in creating what's called a Hong Kong parliament in exile. Here he is in Toronto announcing this parliament in exile. Simply put, it's a group of pro-democracy advocates agreeing to host a symbolic online election to prop up a body to represent Hong Kongers abroad. It seems that the government lacks the legitimacy. Legislative Council now in Hong Kong is not a democratically elected one. It is controlled by the communist government. The Richmond resident and former editor-in-chief of a successful Chinese-language newspaper here in Canada is the subject of strong language from authorities in Hong Kong. Police shall spare no efforts, says this press release, in pursuing the cases in accordance with the law in order to bring the offenders to justice. I think what is really important is for the Canadian government to speak up in support of Victor Ho's right, his democratic right to free speech, uh, and freedom of thought and beliefs. While he is worried that some of his family abroad may face harassment, in some ways he thinks being on Hong Kong's most wanted list is good publicity for his pro-democratic cause. So they amplify our voice. Very good job. Emmaragahi, Global News. Just ahead, carving out a brighter future. Well, yeah, well, we're all, we all need a little healing here. BC inmates get expert help to create a totem pole. What it symbolizes, coming up. But first, mother tongue. New census data shows Canada is communicating differently. British Columbia is known for its rich multiculturalism, and now we have the data to prove it. Languages spoken at home other than English or French are on the rise across Canada, and this province is leading the way. Kamal Karamali has more. Another day for Queenie Chu readying her classroom to teach English to another group of newcomers to Canada. Most of them speak Mandarin, Cantonese, Arabic, Punjabi. The demand has been growing. I would say it has been uh, double uh, since the last five years. And now new census data supports what Chu has been seeing firsthand. Immigration fueling a rise in the number of Canadians who do not speak one of Canada's official languages at home. The number of Canadians who predominantly speak uh, languages other than English and French at home grew significantly. In Canada, a record-breaking one in eight Canadians' main language at home in 2021 was not English or French. That's a jump of 16 percent 
compared to 2016, to 4.6 million people. Mandarin and Punjabi continue to be the most commonly spoken non-official languages, with more than a million people speaking at least one of them. Of those, BC tops the charts, at just over 17% conversing in a language other than English or French at home, that's the highest across all provinces. BC has seen a 1.5% increase from 15.6% in 2016 to 17.1% in 2021, while the number of homes that predominantly speak English dipped slightly by half a percent over the five-year span. In Vancouver, Mandarin is spoken most after English and French. In Abbotsford and Mission, it's Punjabi. BC in particular has seen a Trans-Pacific set of origins, you know, people coming from Asia, uh, East Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia. History professor Henry Wu says they've now created communities that are ripe for continued growth. Why do they choose to come here? It's because of what they've seen in popular culture. Uh, they have relatives already here. They've heard what a wonderful place it is. Census data shows English and French are still the most commonly spoken languages in Canada, with 90% of Canadians speaking at least one of them. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Inmates at an island correctional facility are taking part in a unique project for truth and reconciliation. And as Kylie Stanton shows us, it's finally beginning to take shape. With every move, the wood is transformed. A slow, methodical process that brings it back to life. Rounding of the lip, taking our time. But time is something these men have on their side. When you think about it, we're here because we did something wrong or something traumatizing happened to us. And You know, it helps you get through your days and stuff here. We're all trying to rehabilitate. For a handful of inmates at the Vancouver Island Regional Correctional Centre, this 340-year-old cedar log has provided a sense of purpose. Once you get the hang of it, it just comes naturally. Under the guidance of artist Tom LaFortune, they've spent months creating the 41-foot totem, a symbol of strength, healing, community and family. We're all human, but it seems to be forgotten because they're here. So we want to bring that out in them too to let them know that, that you know that's remembered. Out here in the yard, away from cells and structure, there are no numbers, there are no ranks. Everybody's on a first-name basis, everybody's on the same level. It sort of equalized that power dynamic, um, and the, there's far more comfort back here. It's been uh, humbling, to say the least. The land happens to be traditional hunting and gathering territory, a crossroads for the region's First Nations. But that has never been formally acknowledged. And I couldn't think of a better way to, to do that than to have a, a house pole here at the centre. When complete, likely by the end of the summer, the pole will be raised into place in the facility's outdoor exercise yard, what could set a precedent throughout the province. These are the kinds of uh, uh, programs and initiatives uh, that, uh, that we are, you know, as a government obviously want to, uh, to support and want to, to see happen. This is putting corrections back in corrections. They say the cedar is medicine with the ability to heal. And it seems while working with it, the inmates are also carving out a new path forward for themselves. You come out here and you, you kind of lose yourself into carving. Um, you know, it's a good way to clear your head. It's good for your soul. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, sniffing out smuggled guns. Search. The forces working to stop illegal firearms from entering Canada 
and new laws to protect you too. And why it's getting harder and harder to find pain medication for children coming up. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Traffic is busy but steady over here in both directions at the Patello Bridge tonight with just a bit of leftover volume on that Columbia on-ramp to head south. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $7 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Tonight, a first-hand look at the people on the front lines stopping gun smugglers at our borders. Canada's public safety minister was there getting ready to set and pass legislation this week that will ban the importation of restricted handguns. Global's Morgan Campbell has more. According to the Canadian Border Services Agency, about 30% of all illegal handguns are smuggled through border crossings in southwestern Ontario, including the one here in Niagara Falls. Search. He didn't have any time for pleasantries Wednesday morning. Yes. Yes. They're smelling the gunpowder, the gun oil. There's 27 uh, enforcement actions this year, and I think she has high 50s total in uh, the three years we've been searching. This canine is just one of many officers tasked with intercepting drugs and illegal firearms at this Niagara Falls crossing, which sees about 70,000 vehicles a month. We had like six handguns in a backpack in the spare tire compartment. Um, we've had guns up under the uh, front bumpers of cars. Canada's public safety minister has been touring border crossings, getting a first-hand look at how the agency is tackling smuggling, in particular handguns. Handgun violence has been on the rise dramatically over the course of the last number of years. And so we want to stop that trend. We want to reverse that trend. The feds are touting its agenda to crack down on illegal firearms in Canada through Bill C-21, which would see a freeze on the sale of handguns, a move being denounced by the Conservative Party. In a statement to Global News, the party's public safety critic says the Liberal government is attacking business owners and law-abiding citizens and disrespecting an important part of Canada's cultural heritage. But the Trudeau government maintains it is not targeting legal gun owners. This is not about um, attacking, as we've heard from our conservative uh, opponents, uh, that those individuals at all. I mean, the purpose of Bill C-21 is to save lives. Toronto police statistics show that 86% of guns used to commit crime were smuggled into the country from the U.S., but there is no national data. However, the federal government is pushing forward with a ban on the importation of restricted handguns through policy and regulatory restrictions ahead of a parliamentary vote. Meanwhile, the restrictions will come into effect on Friday and last until the national freeze is implemented. Morgan Campbell, Global News, Niagara Falls. Another blow for Canada's health care system and parents who provide care to their children. Experts are warning that you might need a prescription to get drugs like Tylenol and Advil due to a shortage. 
This comes at a particularly rough time for parents as back-to-school season means more germs and potential for illness. A prescription is required because pharmacists are having to redistribute pills from larger bottles into smaller ones. The shortage comes a month after the Ontario Pharmacists Association flagged higher demand for causing a shortfall in supply there. Coming up, solving the greatest mysteries in the universe. We're addressing what, what I refer to as the holy grail of science. The global brain power meeting right now in Vancouver and how they could change the future. Plus, a very active day for whale watchers. Attention, need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrua examines Consumer Matters on Global News. Amazing video of a pod of killer whales that swam right up into Vancouver Harbor on Tuesday. The four orcas that were spotted by many in the area are a family of transient or bigs killer whales. The matriarch of the pod, T90, was accompanied by three calves, a male, a female, and one that hasn't had its gender identified yet. T90 was born back in 1980. The BC Cetacean Sightings Network asks that you report any whales that you see to help them reduce disturbances and vessel strikes. When these animals come into highly populated areas, obviously that's, that could be partially a concern in terms of the human activity that's around um, and also kind of related to, I'm sure most of you are aware of the um, oil spill off of the west coast of the San Juan Island. So these sightings are also very important to know where these whales are so we can potentially mitigate any kind of further stress or impact in those kind of events as well. And they ask that if you are out on the water and see a pot of whales, remember the slogan, see a blow, go slow. That means reducing your speed to under 10 knots. And how about this close encounter? It happened yesterday. A pot of whales surfaced right next to a pair of paddleboarders in a coastal town in Argentina. The men say about a dozen whales in total got up close and personal and stuck around for about an hour. The paddleboarders say they never felt fear, even when one of them was knocked into the water. Instead, they both felt an immense sense of joy. Isn't that amazing? All right, good stuff. Let's check back in. Uh, with Yvonne right now for the latest on the heat wave, small as it is, as short as it is, but still significant for a lot of folks. Yeah, packing a punch today. We've had that record-breaking heat, Lytton getting up to 40 degrees, and we've got one more day in store for tomorrow, so do keep that in mind with temperatures into the interior getting into the upper 30s once again. We're currently sitting at 25 degrees, but away from the water. When you factor in the Humidex, we're feeling into the low 30s. Kamloops, or uh, Hope rather, sitting at 40. Port Alberni with the Humidex at 37, and similar for areas near Abbotsford extending into the Fraser Valley. So the hot spots, a Lytton was up there, Lillooet with that record-breaking heat in areas near Trail and Kamloops today, even getting up to 35 degrees. And we'll have it similar for tomorrow with the heat warning along the north and central coast, areas inland. For the south coast, we'll see it even including rather the Sunshine Coast, the Fraser Canyon, and extending in towards the Soyuz rather and Nelson. So we've got plenty of areas that will see that heat once again into the southern interior, upper 30s. So we've got one more high day. And with the heat warning criteria, it's also the overnight lows, anywhere between 16 and 18 degrees 
Tuesday, so we're not seeing much of a reprieve until we get in towards our Friday. We can see that on the temperature trend, areas inland for Metro Vancouver break on the way on Friday, even an increase in cloud cover, a chance for some showers. We'll start to see that transition for the southern interior Friday leading in towards Saturday, but still another hot one likely for both Thursday, Friday for areas near Ashcroft and then into the low 30s by Saturday, but still very hot for the latter half of the weekend. Blip in the forecast, we've got a weak frontal system that'll push in and the timeline for the south coast will be late Thursday overnight towards our Friday. We even have a slight risk of a thunderstorm for all areas along the south coast and the southern interior on Friday will have that cloud cover and a 30% chance of a shower rather and a break from the heat. Now the northern half of the province, it's inland with temperatures into the low 30s. Another hot one tomorrow, upper 30s for the southern half of the province, break on the way for Friday along the south coast. So be prepared, especially with the humidex tomorrow, away from the water up to 38 degrees. Overnight to Friday, some showers, risk of a thunderstorm into the weekend, sunny with both days highs up to 24 and 25 degrees. Tonight's weather window, some camping from Sandy Island Marine Park, and this one was captured by Leslie. Chris. Oh, that's a cool shot. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. It's official. An iconic Canadian department store is making a comeback. Zellers is set to make a return in 2023 after a decade-long hiatus, according to an announcement made by Hudson's Bay. Global's Kayla McLean has more. Well, Hudson's Bay is looking at taking customers on a shopping trip down memory lane by relaunching Zellers, a decade after the discount chain shuttered most of its locations. Hudson's Bay says Zellers will debut a new e-commerce website and will be opening up more brick-and-mortar locations within select Hudson's Bay department stores across the country early next year. It's all part of a bid by the company to tap into the nostalgia of the brand through a, quote, digital-first shopping journey. There's no word yet on how many locations of the Canadian department store there will be, or exactly where they'll be located. Another question mark, whether or not this venture will be successful. I remember going to Zellers as a, um, as a kid with my grandparents. So it's kind of cool that it's, it's, it's coming back. But on the flip side is, is this actually going to resonate with everyday consumers? I think there's going to be kind of this wow factor, like, wow, Zellers is, is here. You know, these, this takes me back to my childhood. Toys were reasonable, the clothes were reasonable. So I really like, would like it to come back. It gives more competition and you, you know, for other stores. So you, know, you get better sales when you get more competition like that. So it's all good. Now the return of Zellers comes as soaring inflation drives customers to retailers with lower prices. Back to you. Well, the Whitecaps uh, are what Squire is following. He's in now. Um, what's the latest? Well, um, they're going to play tonight at BC Place against Colorado. And to use an old cliche, and I mean an old cliche, it's pretty much a must win, or if you like, it's a mustn't lose situation. Each rival we play against is fighting for a playoff spot, so I mean, each game for us is a playoff game, basically. The Caps will get Lucas Cavallini back in the lineup from a one-game suspension, so that should help the offense. But what the Caps really need to do is start well. Mustn't lose, I like that. and. Uh, coming up, some of the top scientists and deepest thinkers of our time are in Vancouver tackling life's biggest mysteries. That's later. Squires here now with sports. Whitecaps got to get rolling here. <laughs> yeah, you right. bet. It's, it's not enough that you won the Canadian championship. You got to make the playoffs too. Okay, 
So this season, the Whitecaps have spent money on bringing in a few new players, but what they really should have done with some of that money was buy all their players' watches so they'd know what time the game starts because too many times this season the Whitecaps look like they aren't ready at kickoff. It's kind of the same problem the Canucks had at times last season. Playing from behind in games means you'll eventually get behind in the standings. Tonight, Vancouver has a game at BC Place against Colorado. It'll start in a few minutes. And the Whitecaps really need to win this one, and not just this one. They have to win a lot more as well just to make the playoffs. Each soccer match starts with an opening whistle, but in recent games, the Caps haven't kicked into gear until they concede a goal. Whereas was the case in L.A. on Saturday, conceded three goals. The last three games, we were starting slow. We were bad in the first half. Uh, and we were talking during the week, I mean, these two days. And we need to be better prepared to do a better warm-up even and try to uh, start on the front foot, press them high and try to score first. The last time the Whitecaps scored first in a match was July 17th in Portland. While late game heroics are fun and exciting, six of the Caps' eight wins this season have come when Vancouver strikes first. We analyze deeply uh, our preparation to the game, the way that we do the warm-up, the way that we do how do we approach to the game, the way that we do even my team talk before the game. One player who can help the Caps get the opening goal is Lucas Cavallini. The Caps' leading scorer with eight goals is coming off his second suspension of the season due to yellow card accumulation, which forced him to miss the important match against the Galaxy. Yeah, it was tough to watch, and you know, but it's still not over. Uh, we have a game tomorrow, another final, uh, another team fighting for a playoff spot. But um, I mean, we're here at home, and we need to get a win. Preventing the opposition from scoring will be essential too. The defense is coming off its worst performance of the season, allowing five goals in L.A. But in each of the previous two instances, when the Caps gave up at least four in a match this season, they responded with a clean sheet. And since other teams in the Western Conference playoff race also lost over the weekend, the Caps can still get above the play with a complete performance and win against Colorado. We played last season against them. They didn't change a lot. They're a really aggressive team. They like to, to press high and to play fast in transition. So it's going to be, I expect, a really tough game. But uh, we play at home and we need to respond with the, with the same, same amount of aggressiveness. There's Kamloops' Logan Stankoven. Quarterfinals, Canada, Switzerland at the World Junior Hockey Championships. It's quarterfinal day. All of them were played today in Edmonton, and that's Tyson Forster from Stan Coven making it one nothing for Canada. Now Logan Stan Coven gets the steal, hits the iron, but puts in his own rebound. That's very good sticking to it. That would make it 3-1 in the first. Actually, the Swiss gave Canada a pretty good run. Connor Bedard doesn't just score. He uses the body as well pretty well. Stan Coven would get the final goal as Canada wins it by the score of 6-3. to three. So Canada, as expected, goes to the final four. Blue Jays played this afternoon. Oh, but before we show you that, Little League World Series with Little Mountain. From Vancouver. They won 7-0, their first game against Australia. That means they move on to play Japan on Friday. It is a double knockout in Williamsport. Okay, that's Ross Stripling in the Blue Jays taking on Baltimore. Blue Jays only won two of their last ten. Stripling had a good outing. Seven strikeouts, only allowed one hit going to the seventh inning when he was finally replaced. 
No scoring until a six-run seventh. Santiago Espinal to the Tim Horton sign. One's in. That's Bichette. George Springer safe. Jays win it 6-1 over Baltimore. BC Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke has played eight games this season, and four times he's been named one of the CFL Players of the Week. Now this Friday, Rourke and the Lions will be on the road in Saskatchewan for a game against the Rough Riders. Rourke definitely has deserved all his weekly awards, all the compliments he's been getting, but he refuses to gloat because, as he knows, even though he's a young player, sports love can be fleeting. There's always a constant demand to perform. And so what you did in the past is never enough. So, uh, so I'm more focused on what to do for the next one rather than, uh, than um, thinking about what this team has done previous to this. Now the BC Lions obviously know who their number one quarterback is. The Seattle Seahawks, not so much. They play an exhibition game at home tomorrow against Chicago. And they were hoping to start Drew Locke and get another look at him. But that's not going to happen because Locke tested positive for COVID and he can't be near the Seahawks for five days. So Locke won't now be able to play until the third and final preseason game, August 26th against Dallas. He's fighting for the starting job with this man, Geno Smith. And the fact Geno will start tomorrow against the Bears could help his cause. There are some who've been watching training camp in Seattle who think Smith has fallen behind Locke in the battle for number one. But this situation really is unsettled in Seattle when it comes to who is the number one quarterback. Mm -hmm. There you go. Maybe Nathan will get the call one of these days. I don't think there's any doubt that NFL scouts are already looking at Nathan. I would think. All right, thanks very much, Squire. The world's top physicists are in town, and it's safe to say none of them ever skipped math class. The big problem <laughs> that they're trying to solve. Next. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, another public sector union is threatening job action. The Professional Employees Association issued 72-hour strike notice at noon today. They represent more than 1,200 licensed professionals, including engineers and pharmacists. And another incident of a Metro Vancouver young person threatened with bear spray. But this time, police managed to make arrests. Three arrests, as a matter of fact. They also seized a replicate gun. The details tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. All right, sounds good. Thanks very much, Jordan. More than two dozen of the smartest people in the world, including Nobel Prize winners, have gathered for a conference in Vancouver. Their goal, solving a problem not even Einstein could and improving the way we live along the way. Aaron MacArthur reports. You would be hard-pressed to find a smarter group photo anywhere. Two. Nobel laureates, future Nobel winners likely, and some of Vancouver's biggest philanthropists. All in town to help solve the universe's greatest mystery. We're addressing what, what I refer to as the holy grail of science. The photo, an homage to one taken in 1927. 17 of the 29 people in this photo would win or had won a Nobel Prize. Einstein. Curie, Planck, Bohr, Schrodinger. The group trying to reconcile the theory of relativity with quantum mechanics. Almost a century later, scientists are still grappling with that same question. Both now have been tested thoroughly. Both passed lots of demanding tests. Isn't it wonderful and isn't it remarkable that they're inconsistent? 
The group, part of what's become known as the Quantum Gravity Institute, a Vancouver-based center to help scientists working on what's become known as the theory of everything. Concord Pacific CEO Terry Huey, who graduated from Berkeley with a degree in physics, pushed the scientists to work collaboratively on potential solutions. It's like uh, someone who never made the uh, high school hockey team going into the hang out in the locker with the Canucks. Along with Huey, some of Vancouver's richest men are putting up their own money not only to found the institute but also archive a vast collection of material from some of science's greatest thinkers. The archive will be housed in Vancouver and will be available digitally to anyone who wants it. If we ever get a quantum theory of gravity it will change this entire world in a way that you can't even begin to imagine. The conference looking at everything from black holes to quantum gravity and time travel. Vancouver hoping to become a hub for scientists around the world, hoping to find their eureka moment. Aaron McCarthy, Global News. Incredible. Well, uh, you can imagine how amazing and miraculous today would look to somebody born 100 years ago and, and then try to project 100 years into the future. What are we going to be living like then? All right, uh, last word before we go on the weather, Yvonne. Heat warning continues uh, in towards tomorrow, then a bit of a break on the way as we look ahead towards our Friday, but still hot and sunny towards the weekend so far. All right, thanks very much, and thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you back here tomorrow.